Well, it, bring, it brings me great joy to again invite you to open your copy of the Holy Scriptures to the book of Romans. Chapter 8 can be found on page 796 of the Pew copy of the Scriptures. Because we pause to consider the incarnation of Jesus Christ during Advent, and because we start each calendar year by giving time and attention to our pursuit of God through the dis disciplines of grace, especially His Word, and then taking time to think about our pursuit of God through prayer, and then last week thinking about our pursuit of God through the body, through the, the ministry of the local body. It's been a few weeks because of those pauses that we have been in the book of Romans. Romans is the sixth book of the Christian New Testament. It's an epistle. It's a letter that from the great Apostle Paul to the church located in Rome. The church at Rome was most likely comprised both of Jews and Gentiles, just by way of review. The letter is a theological masterpiece that dives deeper into the never-ending glories of the good news of Jesus Christ. We've given it this description of that Romans is the that explains to us the undeserved, unmatched, unstoppable gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, by way of review, we've, we've thought, we've kind of divided it into sections for our help as we go through this, this lengthy study. We've, we've considered the priority of the gospel, that the, power, that the gospel is the power of God to salvation. We've, we've considered the heart of the gospel, that that the, that the good news of Jesus explains to us that we are not saved by, by works or by anything that we could do, but that we are saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And then the, the third division is where we are currently at in our study, and it, it gives to us the assurance of the gospel. Romans chapter 8, or 5 through 8, is, is that section on the assurance of the gospel, and chapter 8 kind of picks up where chapter 5 left off, and we've noted that a couple of times. So I want to read a couple of verses from the end of chapter 5 for us this morning just to kind of help us set the context again. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, Paul has, has gone through about being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ in verse number 1, and how there's, there's a representative of, of, of Adam for us in the garden, but then there was a better representative of Christ, the second Adam. In the end of chapter 5, uh, Paul says to the church, he says, Therefore, as by one, the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, Jesus Christ, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And then Paul issues a parenthesis, if you will, of chapters 6 and 7. There are two potential faulty uh, responses to the message of chapter 5, or how chapter 5 ends. And so chapter 6 addresses one of those faulty responses, and chapter 7 addresses one. Chapter 6 addresses the idea of being spiritually sloppy kind of saying to ourselves, well, I've got grace, no worries then. I can just live however I want to in this Christian life. Paul says, not so. 
chapter 7 addresses the other faulty reasoning of, of saying to yourself, I need to keep the law in order to be right with God. Paul says, not so. Both of those are faulty and leave you with no assurance of your standing before God. That brings us to the glorious chapter of Romans 8, which so many Christians have found hope and help from. Would you follow along, please, as I read from God's Word, beginning at Romans chapter 8, verse number 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirits. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made, us, hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. And to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is, is enmity of God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is not of Christ. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised Christ from the dead shall also quicken or make alive your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if through the Spirit you do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as, for as many are, as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself, or Himself, bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Brothers and sisters in Christ, these verses give us an incredible assurance of our standing before God. These verses give us an incredible assurance as we consider the past, present, and future promises of God to us. Friend, if you have gathered with us this morning, and you are, or you're watching online, and you are not a child of God, you've never been born again, you don't have the assurance that Christians have. So please consider the weightiness of of the matter today. Christians have a hope in suffering that unbelievers do not have. Christians have a present and a future assurance that unbelievers simply do not have. 
Through our study, we've already learned that the most important relationship that anyone can have is being a child of God. It makes all of the difference for this life and for the next. We celebrate that all the time, right? We think about that. We often look backward and we remind, us, or we remind ourselves that God saved us, that God did a work in us, that we have been regenerated, that we have been converted, that we've been born again. We remember that we stopped trusting in the temporary pleasures of sin. We remember that we stopped looking for hope in something or someone else that's found in this world. And we remember that by the grace of God, we started trusting in Jesus and what he has done. But sometimes we get bogged down. Sometimes we get bogged down in the Christian life and we yield to sin way too often. And we feel, oh, God saved me. But what now? Sometimes we experience such hardships that our faith in Jesus wanes. Not that we stop being a Christian, but we become faithless in ways at times. Or our trust in God's promises, His promise to continue a good work in us. Our trust is weak. Paul tells us that we are going to be glorified. Jerry read for us this morning from Revelation telling us that God is going to make all things right. That God is going to wipe away every tear. That God is going to bring an end to death and to pain and to sorrowing. Christian, think about it this way. All of that that we read of in Revelation this morning, the promise that we will be glorified, all of that has to happen to you. Because God said it would. You can't just get saved without all of that coming to pass as well in your future. And that future reality, the fulfillment of those promises in the future, is a wonderful assurance as we struggle through this earthly journey. Here's the main thought for us to walk away with this morning, Christian. Your salvation cannot stop short of your glorification. Otherwise, it is not salvation at all. So keep trusting. The best is yet to come. This is a great big call from verses 17 and 18 to look toward the future. The future outlook is so amazing. It's so glorious that Paul says we can only imagine what that glory is. Is going to be like. So let's give our time this morning to thinking about the assurance that the Spirit of God gives to the children of God. God the Holy Spirit is at work for you to be assured that your status of, as a child of God is firm. It is sure. First, we see that assurance from the Spirit comes via our inheritance that is guaranteed in the past. Paul makes a massive declaration in the pre preceding verses. He says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Then he develops the natural conclusion to that declaration. When we hit verse 17, he says, and if children, if you're children of God, then heirs and heirs of, of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. 
if we are children, then we are heirs. And Paul even defines it or describes it in, in two different ways. He says, we are heirs, we, are, or we have an inheritance from God, but first of all, we are heirs of God. The, the verse says, and if you are children, then you are heirs. It's, talking, it's not talking about a possibility that if you're a child of God, then you might be an heir. It's more of a causality. It's more like if something is true, if, if this reality is true, then this is the cause of it. Um, think about it this way. If Chick-fil-A offers free sweet tea for a day, I'm going to stop by and fill up multiple times. Maybe I'll just park in the parking lot and study from the parking lot, right? Because if they make the offer, because they make the offer, I will be present. Because we are children of God, we are heirs of God. You remember Paul is writing to Romans, totally different culture than the tradition of the Jews. For Jews, the oldest son would often get a double inheritance. Um, Peyton, don't get your hopes up. That's not the way it's going to work. But in, in Rome, the standard practice was for all the children in the family to receive equal shares of the inheritance. God willingly and God gladly, joyfully, bestows his inheritance on all of his children, all who have faith in Jesus. So in his all-wise plan, God chose to redeem you in order that he may bless you with an inheritance because you are an heir of God. Ephesians chapter 2 describes, describes us at one time being children of wrath, so here Paul is explaining that we are no longer children of wrath, but children of God. And that further, if we are his children, we are his heirs. Being an heir of God is, is one of the inevitable consequences of being justified by faith. Remember, we, we studied that in, in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, that we are justified by faith. And because we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And so we, because, because we have peace with God, we are his heirs. And inheritance is only as valuable as the one who leaves it. Some people on this earth have some valuable relatives, leaving them a grand inheritance. Their inheritance is valuable because of the one who left the inheritance is valuable. But consider the value of God. For a Christian, our inheritance comes from the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. For a Christian, our inheritance comes from the one that owns everything, that created everything. Our inheritance comes from the one who has no limits. Christian, it doesn't matter how much your parents leave you. It doesn't matter what your uncle or your grandma leaves you. It's all going to perish on this earth. No amount of money on this earth can give you assurance about your eternal destiny. The assurance you and I need, and praise God, the assurance that we have comes from the reality that we have an inheritance from God, that we are heirs of God. Don't have much on this earth? No problem. You are an heir of God if you are in Christ. You are adopted. You are forgiven. You are cleansed. But beyond that, you are God's heir. Paul also specifies that he, he, it's, it's interesting that he says not that there will be this inheritance, but he specifies that we are heirs of God 
and that we are joint heirs with Christ. Jesus is the heir, right? He is the one and only Son of God. And, and we share in everything that is true of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Everything that he inherits, we inherit. That's amazing. We, I often quote from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every blessing that Jesus has coming to him comes to us because we are joint heirs with Jesus. We are no longer in Adam, we are in Christ. Everything that Christ receives as a result of being God's son, we receive also by God's grace. Do you remember the, the parable of the laborers in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 20? That one confused me when I was a child. They, the laborers went out to work, starting their work uh, at different times of the day. You remember that parable? They, some of them started early, and some of them started midday, and some of them started late in the day. But when payment was made, they all received the same payments, whether they had worked one hour or they had worked an entire day. The parable teaches us that everyone who is in Christ will have the same eternal reward, regardless of the difference in their services. We are all recipients of the same inheritance. All of God's children participate in his estate. Jesus himself prayed in his high priestly prayer of John chapter 17. Jesus prayed to the Father. He says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. Friends, earthly inheritances go away. Either we die and don't spend it, or we spend it all before we die. They perish, but not so with being a co-heir with Christ. 1 Peter 1 says, Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And here it is, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Christian, what inheritance are you more focused on right now? An inheritance that has an earthly limitation that will perish, that will fade away, or an inheritance that will never die, kept for you in heaven? Christian, take time to consider all that is yours because you are a co-heir with Christ. The Spirit of God offers assurance as you consider all that has been settled in the past, through Christ's work on your behalf. Children of God, if children, then heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ himself. Christian, your salvation cannot stop short of your glorification. Otherwise, it is not salvation at all. So keep trusting. The best is yet to come. Assurance from the Spirit comes via our inheritance that is, that is guaranteed in the past. But verse 17 goes on and teaches us that assurance from the Spirit comes via our suffering that is guaranteed in the present. What? That is strange. Glory comes through suffering? Look at verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Part of the way that we are co-heirs with Christ is that we also suffer. 
Now, our suffering isn't to the extent of Christ's, but we suffer nonetheless. We read of that in the Sermon on the Mount, don't we? Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Paul reminds us that suffering as a result of our faith is actually evidence that we have faith, that we are born again. Suffering that comes as a result of, of being a Christian is proof that we are a Christian. Suffering for Christ increases our appreciation for Christ's suffering. We see suffering all over the place, don't we? Let's be careful. Let's be careful as we observe suffering of others. Let's be careful not to minimize the suffering of others. That's happened to me, and I, and I learned from that. When someone minimizes suffering, others are suffering in ways that we may not understand. So let's be aware of it and be sensitive to it. Our obedience to God is, is because we are Christ followers, we will endure suffering. Think about how our world engages and talks about issues like sexuality and gender and abortion. If we hold to what the Bible teaches on those issues and many others, there will be degrees of suffering that we experience. Suffering may come through the trial of, of temptation. Are you suffering through, are you enduring through a, not give, a, a temptation to sin and you're not giving into it, but you're, you're suffering through it, you're feeling the heat because you're trying to do what's right? It's a, it's, a, it's a matter of suffering because you're a child of God. You want to do what's right. Or maybe you are called to suffer through separation from family members who live abroad doing kingdom work. What kind of suffering are you called to endure, Christian? Suffering is, is not only a possibility for Christians, it's a guarantee. Now, I don't know what you're suffering, all the details of every person in this room, of, of, of each of your sufferings. But I do know that suffering for Christ's sake is part of being born again. So even in suffering, you can find assurance in your standing with God. Christian, your salvation, it cannot stop short of glorification. Otherwise, it would not be salvation at all. So keep trusting. The best is yet to come. Assurance from the Spirit comes from our inheritance that is guaranteed in the past, what Jesus has done. Assurance from the Spirit comes via our suffering that is guaranteed to happen in the presence. We're not yet glorified. We're, we're not yet free from, from, from the, the taint of sin and from the pull of sin. There's still remaining sin that we're dealing with. and there, There's going to be suffering in this world. We're not free of that yet. So we have that assurance from the Spirit of God when we're, when we're experiencing suffering. That's just another sign that we are of God. Paul goes on in verse number 18 to teach us that assurance from the Spirit comes via our glory that is guaranteed in the future. Verse 18 says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory 
which shall be revealed in us. Now some people, I've heard some people say, when Paul says, I reckon, that proves that he was a southerner. I don't think so. That word reckon means consider. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that, should, that shall be revealed to us. That word means he's making a calculation. He's considering. He's taking into account all of the different variables of the equation. Sometime, I think in February, if, if I remember correctly, uh, the, the Winter Olympics begin. And athletes will make all sorts of, of considerations, right? They will, they will reckon all over the place in, in their efforts to win a medal. They will reckon or consider wind speeds and their diets and their sleep habits and a variety of countless other variables. And they will draw a conclusion on how they should proceed into their competition. Paul is saying that when he takes into account, when he considers all of the present sufferings of his earthly journey, he can conclude with force and with confidence that all of those present sufferings are nothing compared to the glory that awaits him. Paul, the guy who had to jump from a sinking ship, the man who had been beaten, the man who had been stoned, the man who had been robbed. The guy considered all of that, all that was going on in his life and had happened. And he concluded with confidence that the glory of the future was not even comparable to all that he'd experienced. Paul is teaching us that suffering that takes place in this life is a small price to pay for the glory that you will enjoy in heaven. Now, to be clear, this isn't talking about paying a price to get into heaven. Rather, the apostle is, is telling us that, that suffering that we endure here as a result of being a Christ follower will one day be looked at as just nothing. No matter how intense the suffering is here, you will look back and say it was worth it all. Unbelievers, those who have not been born again, have no hope in their suffering. They, maybe they think, well, this is, just, this is just God being mean to me. So he gave me this disease or he let this tragedy happen in my life. Or maybe an unbeliever may believe that, that, that God is, is not just unkind, but that maybe this, this is just karma. That this just, this just happened, it's just happenstances, it's just circumstances beyond my control. Or maybe they will claim that suffering is unjust or whatever they can fill how they can fill in the blank however they want only christians can experience hardship and look forward with hope only christians can experience the difficulties of that, that come as a result of being a christ follower and look forward in hope because christians understand that all the afflictions of this life are going to end Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the, fa should, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Friend, if you are not a child of God, 
if you are not a co-heir with Christ, a joint heir with Christ, God gladly invites you to become his child. The scriptures teach us that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and that if we believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. I invite you today, whether you're in this room or watching online, if you have not called on the name of the Lord to be saved, do so now. He welcomes you. You can be his child, a joint heir with Christ. Christians, our suffering comes from other humans, but our future glory comes from God. Our suffering is on earth, but our glory will be in heaven. Our suffering is limited, but our glory, it will be eternal. Our suffering is in our decaying body, but our glory will be in an imperishable body. In salvation, God offers us forgiveness of sins, and we rejoice and we give thanks for that. In salvation, we receive cleansing from our sin. And he does all of that in order that one day he might restore us to the glory that he created for us. If you understand where you are heading in the future, you won't give a second thought to the current suffering that you are called to endure. Paul said it's incomparable. The difference between the present degree of suffering and the future glory is, is so vast, it's so different, that there's actually no way to compare it. It's a cold winter morning in Pennsylvania. So let's think about going to the beach. We go to the beach on a warm July day, and we have our sand pail and our shovel, and we take the, the, the pail, the, 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 the buckets, and we walk to the water's edge, and we fill it with water. We have part of the ocean right there in a bucket. And then we look out and we see the trillions and trillions and whatever number of gallons of water that make up the ocean that, that sits in front of us. That's still a comparison, isn't it? Paul says that the difference between present suffering and future glory is incomparable. It's so vast that you can't even make one of those massively different comparisons. And that's Paul's point. So keep trusting, Christian. The best is yet to come. Paul tells us that assurance comes as we consider the reality that one day we will experience the full glory of God as he originally created us to experience. We remember reading back of, of what happened in the Garden of Eden and, and as we as a human race behaved in the Garden of Eden. We remember even before that how God tells us that he created us to live in, in, in dominion over the earth. And to walk with God and to commune with God in the garden. We were created in his image, enjoying his glory. But then we as a human race sinned. We were immediately corrupt through and through, totally depraved. Paul is telling us in Romans 8, verse 18, that one day we will be restored to that glory if we are children of God, if we are co-heirs with Christ Jesus. Christian, keep trusting. The best is yet to come. You can read Revelation 21.6 with confidence when he says, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega. He that overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be to him a God and he shall be 
my son. Christian, that is you. You will inherit all things because you are the sons of God. Our salvation cannot stop short of glorification. Otherwise, it's not salvation at all. On August the 25th of 2019, we gathered in this room for what was Anna Gross's last Sunday before she headed to Indonesia to serve doing kingdom work. That Sunday, who remembers what I preached that day? Can you guys remember the sermon? Okay, probably not. Anamite. The su- that Sunday, we considered a verse. We were coming down the home stretch of our series through the book of Joshua. And we considered a verse in Joshua chapter 21 that said, Not one word of the Lord had failed to come to pass. All that God had promised to the patriarchs, to the Israelites, to Joshua about the promised land had indeed come to pass. Not a single word had failed. Every promise was kept. God is the same today as he was in Joshua's day, as he was on August the 25th of 2019. We sent Anna off to Asia not knowing the immediate future, but we knew the eternal future because she's, she's one of God's children. Her original plan for a year away from home has turned into two and a half years. During her time her, uh, in Asia, her apartment was burglarized. Like the rest of the world, she had she had to, to pivot with the pandemic only, uh, and then only uh, that meant for her meant moving to another country. Lots of different things happened, like it happened for, for a lot of different people when the pandemic hits. And we can stand here today and say that God has kept all his promises to Anna. Now, if you would ask Anna after the service, if you hear her tonight, she's not going to tell you she's suffered so much for the cause of Christ. Nobody's getting ready to write her biography, at least that I know of. But she's certainly been called to endure some trials in her Christian journey. And so have you. Beloved of Harvest Bible Church, I don't know all the ins and outs of your suffering. But I know that God has promised you glory in the future. I know that the best is yet to come. Christian, in your suffering, keep trusting the one who has promised to never leave you or forsake you. Keep trusting the one who created you, lived for you, died for you, and is coming back for you to take you to glory. As you suffer through the temptation to sin, keep trusting the one who was in all points tempted like you have been tempted, yet he never sinned. And keep reminding yourself that one day you too will be sinless. As you suffer through separation from your family who serve abroad, keep trusting the one who will one day reunite us around his throne of glory. As you suffer with the darkness of our world, keep trusting in the one who is the light of the world. As you suffer with being persecuted, For being a Christian, keep trusting the one who was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. As you suffer sadness and grief, as you mourn loss in this world, keep trusting the one who promises to wipe away every 
tear from your eye. Keep trusting the one who has promised to continue a good work in you until the day of Jesus Christ. Keep trusting the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending. Keep trusting the one who promises to bring to an end all sorrows and death. Keep trusting the one who promises you glory that is not even comparable to the sufferings of this life. Keep trusting the one who is your only hope in this life and in death. Christian, your salvation, it cannot stop before your glorification. Otherwise, it is not salvation at all. So keep trusting. The best is yet to come.